Welcome back to Soldier Dog by Sam Angus. Chapter 2 10th July, 1917, Lancashire. The days were still long and lovely, but after dark, there was no escape from Da. He'd grown stiller and somehow more combustible. As Stanley did his homework at the table, Da sat with his back to his son, that hunched form radiating scorn. Stanley finished his equations. He twirled his pencil, thinking. There'd been eight knots in the twine yesterday. The increase is bigger now. And Rocket restless, her eyes strange and dilated. Today she'd refused her food. Later, Stanley lay on his bed. There was a good haul of moss around the ceiling light above him. July was a rich month for Moz, and it was a good, warm night. There were two heartened darts up there, plus a, pottled, a mottled rustic and a brown house moth, Lacanobia thalassana. He tongued its Latin name as he watched the house moth. He had a good head for nat- Latin names, like the way they sound. Stanley sighed and rolled over to face the magazine cuttings on his wall of Egyptian tomb carvings of greyhounds. The dogs were described in stone with the clarity and precision and economy that Stanley loved. Rocket was like that, as noble and ancient and perfect as the Egyptian tomb carvings. She has once been, he thought guiltily, the perfect specimen, the perfect greyhound, descended in a pure line through 3,000 years of history from the dogs of pharaohs. To the right was a postcard Tom had sent earlier in the year of an ambulance dog. It was a rough-haired collie dog with white-tipped tail feathers and smart saddlebags with a large cross on them. She stood in profile to the camera. Tom always found special things to send. Without taking it down, Stanley could picture the neat hands squidged in right to the edge Below, on active service, the military field post office number and the one shilling stamp. Looking at the collie, he mouthed the words he knew by heart. Pas de Calais, 13th April, 1917. Dear father, dear brother, I have been warned to return to the trenches any minute now. They say the big push will be soon, and we're making final preparations. But the waiting feels long. We pass our spare time in climbing to the top of a dog heap to watch the firing at Vinnie Ridge, about four miles away. And I watch the horses being trained to machine guns. They learn so very fast to turn their heads aside. It is odd and cruel that the cavalry use horses to draw machine guns when there are now great machines like tanks about. I always look out for the Thornley horses, Da, and I pray for them. The conditions are terrible for horses. The wire is four feet high, and even after tanks have flattened it, horses should never be made to cross it. I thought you'd like this picture, Stanley, of the ambulance dog. Every time I see a dog, I think of you, and of Thornley, and I long to be home. 
It should be soon, as they say the German will is close to breaking. I will always be thankful that you were too young to fight. The world will never be the same again. For those of us here, you are loving, Tom. I will always be thankful that you were too young to fight. Did Tom not think that Dad could be dangerous too? A knot tightened in Stanley's belly. Too young to go to war, but not too young to be left alone with Da. There was a rap on the door. Stanley started and sat bolt upright, heart racing. Dad never came into his room. She'll be about ready now. The words were mumbled. The log shuttle happened to be warm and dry. Stanley catapulted himself out of bed and flew down the stairs, then turned and ran up again. Dad was excited about the puppies. He would love them. He, like Stanley, must have been watching and waiting. From under the bed, Stanley grabbed a small tin box, and as an afterthought, the jersey strewn across his chair. He hurled himself down the stairs, then turned and ran up again to snatch the towel hanging under the wash basin. Cotton, iodine, towel. Did he have everything? He lost his footing on the narrow treads, saving himself with a clutch at the banister, stubbing a bare toe on the iron boot pole. He hobbled around to the shed and edged the door ajar. A lozenge of moonlight slipped through and rested on Rocket, who lay panting on a straw litter. Stanley squatted on his heels, his bare feet on the stone floor, the lantern above him casting a warm glow. No light shone from the hall or the cottage. Only the log shed was warm and light and alive. An occasional shiver rippled along Rocket's flank. Shreds of mist curled in, hugging the stone and dissolving in the cozy fugue of the shed. Da had prepared this moonlight bed for Rocket. He'd known the right time, known where she'd want to be. Stanley, for all his book, Thermometer and Twine, hadn't. Tremors shuddered through Rocket, one after another in quick succession. Violent quaking overtook her. Her hindquarters convulsed. There was something there beneath the rigid tail, sheathed in a white cocoon, the crown of a tiny head. Anterior presentation, the library book had called it, the right way for a puppy to come out. Rocket's buddy body juddered again. It was out, its eyes and ears sealed shut, all perfect rosy paws and folded limbs. Rocket put herself to a vigorous, workmanlike licking. The tiny thing yelped and yelped again, and it was breathing on its own. Rocket chewed its cord and nuzzled the pink-nosed, pink-bodied pup towards her. It squirmed closer on its belly, and then it was suckling. Rocket tensed again, her body in spasm, legs rigid. One more cocoon emerged. It was all happening so quickly. Rocket was licking and chewing, and there it was, wriggling, sightless, toward a teat. Two minutes passed. Then Rocket convulsed again, and there was one more. Three healthy pups. Were any still to come? Rocket's tapering head, more slender even than her neck, rose and she looked at Stanley, bright and in her intent, her open jaws now tensing, now panting. Still with wonder, 
chin cupped in his hands, Stanley gazed at the little nativity. Rocket's body made a wreath around her brood. The puppies, all bitches, jostled in this perfect crib, their mewings and cawings, a tiny choir. Stanley longed for Dad to come. He'd love them. He'd love their gypsy coats, their splodges of color like spilt paint. Couldn't not. A sudden movement from Rocket jolted him. Her legs were in spasm. Something was wrong. She needed help. There must be a puppy stuck in the birth canal. It could be fatal if she's been straining too long. Twenty minutes at least had passed since the last pup. Beneath her tail, Stanley glimpsed a white sack, and his heart stopped. He could see one tiny outstretched paw. One foot first was dangerous. Rocket's eyes were still intent on his, and they were too brilliant, brilliant with fear. Should he run for Dad? Would she be all right while he was away? He heard footsteps. Dad had come. Somehow, Dad had known Rocket needed him. Even in her distress, Rocket uncoiled herself in welcome, her jaws half open in a valiant smile. Tinker's dogs, thieving dogs, that's what they are. Rocket's eyes never left Da, but the pistol whip of his tone made her smile grow hesitant. Quick, Da, something's wrong. Da grunted. He made no move for a second, then grunted again and knelt. He leaned forward and with one finger inched the tiny limb back in. Da waited. Minutes passed. Rocket shivered, then as she contracted, Da pulled the towel from his son's knees, ready for her. This time... There were two tiny paws, two tiny folded limbs, and between the tips of two fingers, Da held them and began to pull with a hold so sure that he seemed not to be pulling at all. The drawing out of the puppy was imperceptible. The movement of Da's arms in an arc across the belly towards Rocket's head, imperceptible. There it was, a sightless, soundless bundle Da laid it between Rocket's forepaws. Watching his father, a tentative smile formed on Stanley's lips. Da rose, his fists clenched, and he turned his head away from Rocket's shining head. He shifted and stood hunched under the lintel, eclipsing the light, throwing Rocket into darkness. It'll never live. The puppy was there between Rocket's forelegs, but it lay still and silent, and she'd made no move towards it. Stanley must do something. With a pounding heart, he gathered it up and held it cupped in the palm of one hand. He rubbed it with a corner of the towel until the downy coat was clean. It was grayish-white from nose to tail, the only puppy to have no markings, and Rocket's only son. Stanley heard a sort of snort from the shadows behind him and hesitated, stalled by the force of Daz's scorn. Rocket lifted her snout, brows arched, dark eyes bright and questioning. The plain white pup lying in the palm of Stanley's hand was too still. Rocket nosed the palm that held it. He must do what Rocket trusted him to and save this puppy. He lowered it to his lap and with hurried, panicky fingers, pulled some cotton from his tin box and tied a knot around the cord. Feeling Rocket's eyes following his every movement, 
he cut the cord on the far side of the knot and placed the pup beside Rocket. The others mewed and cawed and sucked, but the weep pup was still motionless, inert. Amid the strident mews and bleats, that tiny body was silent, lifeless. Rocket nuzzled the puppy to separate him from the sibling scramble, to stir him to life. She licked and nosed him, but after a little while, her head sank, disheartened. A few seconds passed. Again, Rocket raised her head and nosed the weak one. Stanley's breath stopped as she opened her jaws and picked him up. Hampered by the freight of bodies tugging at her, she clawed her way to Stanley and placed the pup on his lap. Stanley hesitated. Rocket nudged the lifeless bundle closer, eyes intent on the boy's face. Rocket was asking for help. Stanley's fingers began to move before his head knew what to do. He'd already lifted it to his ear. It wasn't breathing. There was no heartbeat. He must move fast. The book said blocked airways could cause this, that you had to act quickly. There was no time to be squeamish. Stanley raised the tiny pink nose to his face, joined his own mouth to the minute nostrils, and sucked. Nothing. He sucked again. That was it. Such a tiny amount you could hardly tell. He spat, then held the little body to his ear. Still nothing. He must get it breathing. With the pads of his thumbs, he rubbed it all over, rubbed again, and then held the pink nose to his own mouth to suck again. And as he did, it squirmed and cried. Stanley held out Rocket's son in the cradle of his palm. Her tail rose and fell with soft slapping as she sniffed and licked and sniffed and licked. She looked up at Stanley and her jaws opened and the warmth in her eyes felt like sunlight to the boy. It'll never be any good. It'll never live unless you'll be given it a bottle. Da kicked the door open. All of them. Manky gypsy dogs, all of them. His voice boomed. Stanley shivered in the rush of damp air, his toes and fists clenching. No one will take him. Only the tinkers will have your manky half-breeds. He tramped away. Rocket's head followed her master's steps, her tail faltering, then falling and lying still. The footsteps stopped. Da's voice blasted out, as though to rattle and shiver the stars above. If the gypsies won't have him, they'll drown them all.